0: I'll be reading Mark 1:35 to 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. So hey, this morning we're going to be talking about prayer, and one of the things that I would just want to actually talk about before we jump in there, and you guys should just be praying for us, um, just for some kind of insider. News here. So, uh, one of the things that we experienced this past week, actually, just this morning, we realized that someone had broken into our trailer uh, overnight, sometime in the last few days, and stole some stuff from us. Um, So, we we meet here at Colony High School. We're a portable church, and we have kind of a a trailer that pulls up every Sunday morning and unpacks um, all the stuff. You guys have probably seen that on Instagram or maybe even have helped unload that or load that up. And so, the last few days, sometime, we're not sure exactly when that happened, but someone broke into our trailer. They stole uh, our soundboard. Uh, a couple of TVs, there's some things that we're missing in that regard. And so we're still trying to figure out exactly what's missing. But I, I share that, not for us to collectively, like, oh, that's, that's terrible. It is terrible. But it's one of these things that I, it really gives us an opportunity to actually, as a church, uh, be reminded of the, the words of, of Scripture and how we are to respond to things like this. This is kind of a small thing, honestly, in, in, in light of what's happening in the world. But Romans uh, 14 says very clearly that, that when we, things like this happen, that we are not to wish badly on people who do us wrong, uh, that we're to pray for them and to bless them. And so one of the things that I just want to do right now is actually just pray for those who broke into our trailer and, and stole that stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a total bummer. It's not something that we planned for, obviously. Uh, it kind of had us running around this morning a little crazy, but um, it is an opportunity for us to be reminded that, one, there's, there's sin in the world. And two, as Christians, we have hope as we respond to that sin. And so, um, this is not ruining the church. This, is where, in fact, we were we were ready to go without amplification and and microphones and all that stuff with, with the soundboard. But the Lord helped us, and we were able to uh, figure that out. We borrowed a soundboard from Foothill Church, um, our sending church. And so, the Lord helped us. But let's just take a minute. I just want to pray for those who uh, felt like they were needing to do that. And so, let's just do that for a minute. Um, God, I'm. I, I am disappointed and in some ways maybe a little discouraged uh, by that, that happening this week, Lord, but at the same time, God, as we think about the brokenness that's in the world, I'm, I'm grateful, God, that we are uh, a people with hope um, that we can look towards uh, greater things ahead. And, and Lord, while it's, it's a loss to lose things and um, to have things taken from us, God, uh, Lord, I just pray it's a reminder for all of us that you, you are ultimately the one who provides all things. Um, that for for all of our planning and for all of our budgeting and the things that we maybe purchased and got ready, Lord, ultimately, all this is in your hands. And so, uh, God, what a a great reminder from my own heart this morning that you are good, that you provide, um, that you use community to do that. And so, um, God, we're... We're, we're, we're joyful this morning. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made, um, and we're so excited to be here. And so, Lord, I pray that don't wouldn't be, wouldn't be a discouragement to us. God, at the same time, we also pray for those individuals who, who stole those things from our trailer. God, I'm not sure um, who they were or where they're at with you, Lord, but um, there's obviously some brokenness in their heart. And so we just ask, Lord, that you would, uh, you would save them, that you would bring them around community that would uh, know you and trust you. Uh, for salvation, Lord, that also the gospel will be be made clear to them, and and God, that we would see uh, just even fruitfulness, Lord, that they would actually become believers one day, and and perhaps um, turn away from this life uh, that they've chosen. So, God, we we trust you, and we thank you for this opportunity just to pray for them, and we praise you in your name, Amen. Amen, Amen. All right, well, we, hey, you just heard the passage uh, this morning. We're talking about prayer, and one of the things that I want to just point us towards as a reminder, as we consider um, prayerfulness in our own lives, is what is the gospel of Mark doing uh, here as we look at the life and ministry of Jesus? Um, In in many ways, I would argue that uh, what Mark is doing, what Christ is doing, is he's actually laying down a template for us in how we ought to live our life. And uh, the word... The word template is actually an interesting word. It's actually kind of a new word if you look at the etymology of that word. It's a a fairly new word as far as it's being used. But the word template was first recorded uh, being used in 1819, about 200 years ago. And as you know, a a template is simply whenever there's a kind of a pattern or some type of standard for shaping a piece of work, right? So uh, templates kind of come in all kinds of, of shapes and sizes. So if you're drawing sometimes, maybe you've done that whole, you know, uh, you've traced before. You trace something as, a, as a, somebody who, as an artist. You learn how to draw by tracing something or copying something or paint by numbers. Anybody ever do paint by numbers before? Right, um, connect the dots, that kind of thing. If you're making a budget, and if you're a nerd, you might use Excel spreadsheets. Right? Uh, no hate to those who actually do that. That's probably a great idea. But if you open up Word documents, if you open up Excel spreadsheets, there's oftentimes templates in there for you to get started. And it's a helpful thing. It's a, it's a way for us to not start from ground zero and create something um, all on our own. So I share that with you because what the gospel of Mark is doing here is it's reminding us that this is not simply just passive storytelling and narrative about this person named Jesus who lived a long time ago. This is actually a template. This is a way for us to, to see what does a, a, a person who is in line with the Spirit look like uh, who walks in the spirit, who has a healthy relationship with his heavenly father. And how can we emulate that in many ways? And so that's what the gospel of Mark is doing. He's offering Jesus up as a kind of template that we can point to and say, this is how we're supposed to live. This is exactly how we're supposed to do it. And so this week, this template kind of moves around. And this week, we're looking at how do we emulate the person of Christ through his posture of prayer? How, how do we pray uh, according to this example we have in the person of Jesus. And so the big idea this morning that I want to point you to is, is simply this. It's that Jesus prioritized prayer, and we should too. Pretty simple. But that's what I want you to walk away with this morning, is that Jesus prioritized prayer, and we should too. And before we go any further, I want you to know that, that I have been praying for, for you all this week as you hear this. Um, I've been praying that as your ears take this in, as your heart kind of ruminates over what does it mean to be a prayerful Christian, um, I I want you to hear it in the right way because in one sense, we can take a passage like this and there's a sense of like, if we're not careful, it can feel like a ton of bricks on our back. It can feel like there's a sense of just like, like heaviness because the pastor talked about prayer uh, the Sunday morning, and it's, it's easy for me as your pastor to maybe point out some lazy and obvious truths that we're sinful and that we need to pray more. And that's just not what I want you to get out of this passage, because that, that'd be easy for me to point out and say that you would pray a little bit more after hearing the sermon. Maybe that would happen. Maybe that would end up happening if I just simply said, you guys, we all suck at this. We all need to get better at this. We all need to improve in our prayer life. And so if you heard that, you might pray for a little bit longer or a little bit more, but it would have no deep or lasting change in your heart. And ultimately, that would not serve in our affection for Christ. And that's ultimately one of the the big things that I want our church to be known for and for us to be growing in personally, is that our affection for Jesus would grow as a result of sitting in these seats. And so as we walk through this passage, please do not hear law or harshness or legalism this morning, but my desire for you is that you'd be stirred up in godliness because I know that many of you want to improve in this area already. And so you don't need me to tell you that you're bad at it. But I will tell you that you're bad at it, but you don't need for me to do that. What I want for you to, to hear though is that man, I wanna I wanna be in relationship with this Jesus. And I want to be, I want to be in prayerful consideration with with the Lord just the way that, that Jesus was. So That's just a caveat as we start. So this morning, here's the question that I want to answer, though. What can we learn from Jesus about prayer? What can we learn from Jesus about prayer? So let's get into it. The first thing that I want you to see through this passage as we walk through it, it's a short passage, and so we'll use it as kind of a launching point, but the first thing is this, prayer seldom happens unless you make the time. Prayer seldom happens unless you meet the time. This passage informs us in many ways, but one of the, the main takeaways is this notion of urgency, of prioritization, right? Like getting kind of your ducks in a row, making sure that you know what comes first in our life of prayer. We see that Jesus made time to pray before anything else. And so you, you see this in your own life. Like, like prayer doesn't usually just happen by default for most people, Right? Like for most people, we don't just default to praying after we have a large meal, like we sit on the couch and fall asleep, right, after a large meal. That's our default. Uh, prayer doesn't usually happen uh, in, in an intentional way by default. We oftentimes have to block out time for it. Now, Paul says in the epistles that we ought to pray without ceasing. So there's certainly this posture of prayerfulness that we should hold on to uh, where, where Paul says, hey, One of the things as Christians, we should kind of hold this general sense of that we're always praying, that we're always humble enough to ask the Lord for help. And so yes, that's a posture, but we also see explicit reminders that there are times where we're called to actually pray specifically uh, for certain periods of time and go off by ourselves and and make sure that this is a priority in in many ways. And so this is what we see in this example in Mark chapter 1. Jesus plans ahead and he makes time to pray before the Father. In fact, he wakes up before morning, before sunrise, verse 35 says, and it's still dark outside. It's still dark outside. I think about all the words in Scripture, and I, just as a reminder, every word in Scripture is placed intentionally. And so I think this detail is important to note, that, that when we see the example of Christ praying early, he, they mention that it's dark outside. And in, every time, actually, Mark mentions the prayer life of Christ, it's dark outside. Jesus is in prayer when it's dark, and everyone else is asleep. Why is this? Well, why is this? Well, it's one of the few times, as you know, that we're kind of distraction-free, in a way. Right? Like, for for many of us, you know at 5.30 a.m., you don't have neighbors knocking at your door. If you do, you should probably move to a different neighborhood, right? Like, you don't have text messages buzzing on your phone. You don't have children clawing at your leg for snacks, right? Like, maybe some of you do at 5.30. But instead... They're, they're supposed to be sleeping, right? Most of the world is asleep that early. And so some of you maybe don't like to wake up that early. And I've tried really hard to think about this because I don't want to overstructure this and say uh, spiritual people wake up early. But I would say that there's a tendency for spiritual people to wake up early and to pray. And so if, if, as you consider your own prayerfulness, are you somebody who wakes up early and, and does as Jesus did? because we realize that prayer is oftentimes free distraction early in the morning. So I can already sense your objections, because I have them in my heart too. Um, as we look at the person of Jesus, sometimes there's a sense of like, well, it's different for Jesus because he's God, right? So he's like, he's talking to himself, right? Or, or maybe he's, he's, he has this kind of direct line of the Father, or maybe because Jesus is so holy that he... Uh, you know, it wasn't a big deal for him to wake up. Well, we know from Scripture that not only was Jesus God, but he was 100% man as well. So every challenge of waking up early, uh, Jesus had as well. In other words, when he woke up, when Jesus woke up, he had, like, eye crusties, right? Like, he, he yawned, he, was, he stretched, and he had a hard time getting out of bed. There was this sense of, like, like he's a real person who had to get up early and kind of will himself out of bed, well, you also might think, well, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the pressures of the 21st century like we do, right? So he's not as busy. He doesn't have my specific job or my specific boss. And so for, for us to talk about him as a template, it's not really fair, Stephen, because he's not as busy as I am. Well, I, I get it. Business is certainly a hurdle to prayer. Some of you are legitimately busy. Some of you are probably too busy. Um, And and so that's one of those things that oftentimes we will wear as a badge even in our culture. But guess what? As we know, Jesus was also busy. And so while this passage is short this morning, let me kind of just point you back to the verses that we covered last week and remind you of the day that Jesus is coming off of. And so if you remember the full day before in those verses, uh, verses 21 through 34 of Mark, we see this account of this very busy day uh, before, which is Saturday, which is the Sabbath. And Jesus started that day by going to the synagogue. He was preaching through the scriptures, which eventually led him to be uh, confronted by a demonized man sitting in the pews. And after that, he goes to Simon's house and he had this kind of base of operations at Capernaum at Simon's house. And Simon's mother, Simon by the way is Peter, Simon's mother is sick. And so Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was ill. And at sundown, when the Sabbath officially closed, and you think the day is over, no, that's when actually everybody came out and heard that this new teacher and healer was in town. And so they all like go and overwhelm Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, and there's this, this crazy kind of like marathon of healing and demon casting out and, and all the stuff that Jesus had to do for hours and hours into the night. And so after such a long and tiresome day, you would maybe expect for Jesus to go and get some sleep or take a day off or something like that. That's certainly my MO, right? Like, honestly, even after church today, I'll probably go just to get a nap, right? So there's this sense of like, that's what we want to do with our time. But instead, Jesus gets maybe, I don't know, a few hours of sleep, and then he wakes up early and prays. I think in some ways, this is meant to feel a little bit intimidating to us because it's so different from what we normally do. It's, this isn't the way that we normally would operate. And it's just a reminder for us that, that Jesus is nothing like us. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we are meant to like, backpedal from it and say, well, that's only for him then. I think the principle is applicable for us still that Jesus made time for prayer. And so we certainly have the ability to make time for prayer, even in the midst of a busy life. Let me just make an assumption for, for all of us. My assumption is this, we make time for the things that we think are important, don't we? Like I'm reminded about this every year when uh, Comic-Con comes along, any of you guys ever been to Comic-Con? It's okay, let your freak freak flag fly, that's fine. So Comic-Con, if you've never, never heard about this before, just look it up online it's basically these four days every year where like 100,000 people show up and they find out like what is the newest like Marvel movie, DC movie. Some people show up in cosplay and costumes and, and like just geek out, right, for four days. And and there's just this kind of like frenetic energy and they're all excited about it, and, right, like and I've been before. And so like there's this, there's this thing that happens every year when there's a convention that happens or something like Comic-Con shows up. And now Here's the thing. Do you think that those 100,000 people don't have jobs? No. They, well, careful, right? Maybe they, maybe, maybe not. I no, don't no, no. That's not fair, okay? So. Likely, most of them have jobs. Likely, most of them are very busy. I, I, I know because we, we, we all know this. This is the mainstream stuff now. People with jobs, people with kids, people with responsibilities. And they make time for Comic-Con, right? And so my, my point is, is that we make time for the things that we're interested in. We make time for things that are important to us. And so and the same is true for us. If we want to pray bad enough, we will make time for it. And yet so often prayer is one of the first thing, things that gets dropped if we're busy. It's forgotten. J.C. Ryle, uh, a theologian from the 1800s, wrote a great essay on prayer. And it's going to be on the screen behind me, but he says it this. J.C. Ryle says, there's no duty so neglected as private prayer. And he wrote this, by the way, in the 1800s, And you might even consider and wonder, like, how much more is this true now in our day with social media and everything else to draw our attention? And he says this, We live in days of bounding religious profession. There are more places of public worship now than there ever were before. There are more persons attending them than there ever have been before. Yet, in spite of all this public religion, I believe there is a vast neglect of private prayer. And it's one of those private transactions between God and the soul, which no eye sees. And therefore, one which men are tempted to pass over and leave undone. Listen to what he says here. I believe that thousands never utter a word of prayer at all. They eat, they drink, they sleep, they rise, they go forth to their labor, they return to their homes, they breathe God's air, they see God's sun, they walk on God's earth, they enjoy God's mercies. They have dying bodies, they have judgment and eternity before them, but they never speak a word to God. That is a convicting word for you and I. And, and, and maybe you'd say that's not true for you because you've at least prayed once or twice before, but there's this, this truism that like there are people who exist and walk through life enjoying God's blessings and His common grace to us and enjoying all the things that God has done for us, and they never once utter a word of thanks or recognition to the one who made it all possible. So prayer is neglected, absolutely. It doesn't just happen on its own. And so I would encourage you, Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and if you have neglected your prayer life to to grow in this area, for us to make time for it in some way or another as Jesus did. The second thing we can learn from Jesus about prayer is this. Number two is that prayer... Brings a clarity of purpose. Prayer brings a clarity of purpose. And I would agree with this. It's just amazing how easily distraction, first of all, distraction can make us forget our true purpose in life, right? We've all heard and experienced this before, but it's so true. Like, we walk into a Target or a Costco, right? Usually for me, it's Costco. And we have a plan and a list. And we just end up, like, walking out with completely, like, things that are not on the list, right? And there's this sense of like, I had a plan. I had some sense of purpose here. And yet for some reason, I just got distracted. That's like, why am I here again? And you realize that Costco and Target are both like, like casinos, right? There's no windows or clocks anywhere, right? Um, and it happens every time. Like we walk into those places and I'll walk out with a bunch of stuff. And verse 36 and 37, let me just point us back to scripture here. Mark... One thirty-six and thirty-seven describes the buzz of the crowds. Those who are looking for Jesus, Simon and those who are with him, search for him. Verse thirty-seven, and they found him and said to him, "Everyone is looking for you." The expectations of his disciples, the expectations of the crowds, are pressing in on Jesus. And and there's a sense of like, man, what's he gonna do? Is he going to be pushed off mission? Is he going to kind of be distracted or kind of capitulate to the crowds in some way? There's this sense of what will Jesus do and they want to treat him like a lottery ticket, right? Like scratch the right spot, they get whatever they want to because of all that he did in verses 21 through 34, he's healing people, he's teaching, he's doing these miraculous things. And they remember that. They're like, let's find that guy again. Let's bring him back to town. Where is he? In verse 38, we see Jesus' response and he said to them, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's the reason I'm here. That's the reason why, why we're, we're here doing what we're doing, disciples. Let me just remind you of that. And so Jesus responds after spending time in prayer. He responds with a clarity of vision, responds with a clarity of, of purpose to Simon Peter, and Jesus walks away with clarity and purpose for his day of ministry ahead of him. And think of the shift from Peter's perspective. Jesus, finally I found you. We have a whole other day of ministry set up. I have like, appointments at this place in Capernaum, this place in Capernaum. There's all this thing for us to do. There's this whole group of people that want you to heal their kids. And, and there's this whole leprosy colony, right? Like this whole, all, all this stuff that's going on. Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus says, all right, let's go. I'm ready to preach. Let's go. And Peter's like, I thought you came, though, to build crowds and to heal people. And Jesus says, no, Peter, I came here to preach. And there's a couple of ways we can go here this morning, but I just want to point us in a a few directions. First of all, you may think that Peter has a point here, that this is actually a great ministry opportunity to build the crowd and to heal people. And yet Jesus has intense clarity about the mission ahead. And this all happens, remember, because he has spent time praying all morning and asking the Father for clarity on that mission. In other words, Jesus says, Peter, don't get so caught up in the temporary wants and miss the true spiritual needs that have to be attended to. And Jesus refused to allow other people's agendas to deter him from his Father's plans. To zoom out a bit further, just to make some comments that are not necessary, these are more of like Stephen's comments, all right? This is oftentimes a repeated mistake by many well-meaning churches and ministries if you kind of look at what's happening in this verse that we get caught up proportionately in the needs around us the needs in front of us so there's homeless ministries there's food pantries there's those who are sick all the time there are those that we ought to feel compassion for absolutely and so if those have if people have needs physical needs are, are we to feel compassion yes we are Are we to act as a church for the good and for the needs of the city? Yes, we're supposed to do those things. But if it's between the preached gospel and social work, gospel wins every time. That's what we see from verse 38, that Jesus came to preach the gospel. And yes, he would go and heal people. And yes, he would provide for the physical needs of people. But the reason he came ought to be Uh, it ought to be a helpful uh, marching orders in a way for us as well, that our lives ought to be primarily about sharing the gospel, sharing the witness of what Christ has done in our life through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. That's what our life ought to be about. And so that takes some perspective shift at times, because oftentimes it's hard for us to say no to good and helpful things in order for us to say, absolutely, yes, I'm 100% on board for gospel things. And that takes our lenses uh, needing to be shifted a little bit, our perspective to be shifted. In fact, I think about that sometimes when it comes to like your phone, right? So a lot of times when you see uh, the world, especially in hindsight, if you take pictures, you're looking through your phone, right? You're, you're, You're taking pictures. And that's the view you get. And so I, I feel like prayer in a way, it's, it's like God saying, hey, stop looking through that little rectangular shape of your phone. And he kind of gives you this sense of almost a drone shot of, of the perspective above and say, like, hey, let, let, me, let me help you see the world as I see the world. There's so much else going on. And this is what we receive through the discipline of prayer. And so I would encourage you guys to consider to have your perspective shifted in that way so that we can see what is most important to the Father and allow that to be most important to us. Number three, as we look at what we can learn from Jesus about prayer, finally is this. Number three, prayer doesn't come easy, it must be practiced. Prayer doesn't come easy, it must be practiced. And this is one of these things that is a a bit of an obvious deal, but do you think of prayer as something that has to be practiced? I think, I would say that actually some people maybe don't think of prayer this way. I, I, I think that most of us tend to think that there are those who are good at prayer and there are those who are not good at prayer. It's not my spiritual gift, right? Um, It's not my spiritual gift, and that applies to lots of areas where we should all be growing and practicing in that. But listen, that's just not true. Like, some of you, honestly, let me just say this, are are lazy when it comes to practicing this this, this practice of prayer. And we need to actually do something and take a step forward in practicing how we pray. Because prayer is hard, and unless we practice it, it'll continue to be hard. And so many Christians don't practice because they think that prayer doesn't come easy, and so they don't join the prayer team or whatever church because they think that that's not my spiritual gift. And it happens over the long haul. Um, One of the things I was thinking about is, as Christians, we are meant to grow in our our giftings in these ways. And I think about, you know, if if I were to ask a, a lifelong plumber, somebody who plums for a living, somebody who's been in the business for like 40 years, and, and talk to them and be like, man, how long have you been plumbing for? Man, I've been plumbing for 40 years. I started when I was 20 years old. Like, wow, that's, that's impressive. So you probably know a lot about plumbing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I follow up with, like, hey, have you ever, um, do you know how to fix a clogged toilet? And I probably have to, like, get ready for some type of snarky response. It's like, of, of course, right? Like, somebody who's been a plumber for 40 years knows how to, like, unclog a toilet, of course. But can you imagine if I asked that, and I, I was getting ready for some type of snarky response, some type of like rebuttal, but imagine that 40-year-old plumber got red in the face and started to stammer and started to say, like, uh, 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 one time, like 20 years ago, I was at a conference, a plumbing conference, and they had this, this like demo of a clogged toilet, and they showed us how to unclog the toilet. It was really cool. I'll never forget it. Can you imagine that? Like, that'd be, that'd be ridiculous, right? And, and here's, kind of the, here's the kind of the biting point in this. Look, it should not be the same for us as Christians learning how to pray. Some of us have been Christians for years, and we have not practiced how to pray. We have not stepped forward and done some of the work that is involved with setting aside time and making sure that we are growing in this area of spiritual discipline, and so I say that not to injure you, but to remind you, it has to be practiced. It's going to feel hard unless it's practiced. And this is what Jesus shows us. He gets up early. He makes it a habit. And we have to get rid of these romantic terms that like, man, if I really was meant to pray, I would just feel like praying. Uh, if I was really meant to pray, that I would be so caught up in the Lord and my relationship with him that, that I would just pray all the time and kind of floating around on the clouds. That's just not how it happens in life. We don't pray unless we practice it. We don't pray unless we make time for it. And that's one of the things that we have to rely on, these habitual rhythms of practices that you set up ahead of time. And so we need to put things in place for prayer to be a regular part of our lives. Now, I can go ahead and make this last part of the sermon very like kind of checkbox to do. I'll do that a little bit. Just whatever works for you, okay? Let me just say that. Whatever works for you to make this a habitual part of your life. So here's some examples. Here's some examples, right? So set a reminder to pray, right? Put it on your phone. Remind yourself to pray once or twice a day. Uh, uh, there's this notion of habit stacking, right? So if you, when you eat a meal, uh, pray right afterwards. So that way you get in your mind. We've all habit stacked that for, for a long time since we were kids. Expound upon that. Make sure that's something that you do more often where it's like, I associate waking up in the morning and getting, having my feet hit the ground with, with prayer time. Just associate those things right make a rule for yourself maybe it feels legalistic but sometimes it helps us get to where we actually want to be and make a rule and say I will not look at my phone in the morning until I prayed I will not check my phone my notifications until I, I pray don't check the weather don't check the score of the game last night right open scripture spend time in prayer prioritize technology over over over, over prayer. Or oh, the other way around. Practise prayer with technology. <laughs> and you build from there, right? Like, So you make, it, you make small improvements. And so you, you start to get it down where you haven't looked at your, your phone unless you prayed. And so then you take that from five minutes to like six minutes and eight, 10 minutes, right? And you start to grow in that. This is what practicing prayer looks like. And so s- start that. Start that tomorrow, right? Start that today. And those practical things build that desire into a habit. And listen, let me just tell you this will feel incredibly ordinary and mundane. It will. There's not going to be these fireworks that happen, like I'm not going to burst into your room in the morning and be like, you did it, right? Like, like you prayed, right? There's not going to be any of that. There's going to be this very much this sense of just like, all right, we're kind of just doing this over and over again. One of my favorite authors, his name is Zach S. Wine, in a book called Imperfect Pastor, says that almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small mostly overlooked things over a long period of time and that applies to practicing prayer for us the last thing i'll say about this is that many of us need to find help with practicing prayer and i would encourage you to find help with this don't reinvent the wheel i think about uh forrest gump in that scene where he gets a ping pong right like one of the many lives he had in that movie and he's like playing ping pong against the wall by himself right uh, you are call that scene. And I would imagine that after a while, there would have to be at least someone who comes in and says, hey, let's play ping pong together. There's this community element where, where practicing against the wall will only take you so far. And so it's the same thing with our prayer life. Eventually, we need partners. We need, we need resources. And so I just encourage you, don't reinvent the wheel when it comes to practicing prayer. We talked about this in the past, but uh, download the Dwell app. Uh, the Dwell app is something that I've, I've used on my phone for a long time and it's a, a friend recommended it to me, where we just kind of hear prayer out loud. Some of you don't like to read, and so listen to, listen to prayer and scripture as you, as you spend time with the Lord. Check out that section on our website on peer discipleship. We talked about this two weeks ago, but this, this kind of uh, initiative of peer discipleship is really meant for you to be in community with someone who wants the same thing spiritually as you do, who, who will encourage you, who will get behind you and say, yes, let's, let's do this. Let's follow one another as we follow Christ. And so go to that on the website, uh, thekingschurch.net slash discipleship, and I just encourage you, if you haven't found a peer discipleship partner yet, find somebody. If you need help, we'd love to help connect you with somebody at our church. This is what practicing prayer looks like. And so as we close uh, this morning, if you're not a believer in Christ and you're here today, I'm sure it sounds awfully strange to talk about prioritizing you know, talking to someone that we can't see. Prioritize your life around someone who died on a cross 2,000 years ago? It probably seems very strange to you. But, but that, that feels strange because you don't know who we're talking about. You don't know that we're talking about a person in, in Jesus. And so when you start to realize as, as an unbeliever that all of this, all Scripture, all of our, our Bibles and the things that we're talking about this morning, it all revolves around a person, not a religion, Somebody who's actually alive today. He's real. Jesus still sits by the throne of the Father today. And when you realize that, then we realize that we're all in on a relationship. And there's meant to be this desire to spend time with that person. And listen, you can know Jesus Christ today, the same person who we read about in Mark chapter one. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He died for you. And he wants to give you a new life. If you are a Christian this morning, I would just encourage you, brother and sister, to to slow down and to to find time to practice praying. Find time to to grow in this area, and I promise if you do that, you will not regret it. I've never regretted once spending time with the Lord in the morning and and praying. And there are times that I've fought against it. There are times that I've I've missed it. There are seasons where I haven't done it, and we all kind of know these seasons of life, right? Right? And when you miss the mark, the enemy gets into your ear and says, you're worth nothing, you haven't done anything, just give up. And let me just remind you that Jesus is going to say, how about tomorrow? How about during your lunch break? Just take a small step towards the Lord, and it will absolutely be worth it. Let's pray together right now. Let's bow our heads. God, we, we thank you, Lord, for, for who you are and for, for what you've done, for how you have... Um, invited us into a relationship with you. And so that relationship means that there's dialogue, there's conversation. And and God, that that prayerfulness, Lord, God, I, I pray that you would in some ways demystify that for us. Some of us don't know how to pray. Some of us feel a little bit silly doing that, or maybe we don't know where to start. God, would you just point us back to passages like this, where we see that very simply you got up early, you prioritized it, and you practiced it over time. And God, would you help us to grow in these things? Lord, none of us are are expert Christians, Lord, in this room. None of us have it down. And so, Lord, would you move us from one stage of sanctification to the next, Lord? Would you give us more and more to learn and to grow in as we consider how do we commune with you? How do we make our relationship with you stronger? God, help us to do that this morning and moving forward this week. We love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.